Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So today, we're going to be talking all about the new legendary creatures from Crimson Vow. Uh, just want to note that we're going to actually be having a separate episode for the Commander Precons. And uh, if you're interested in the main deck cards, all the non-legendary cards from the set, we're actually going to be heading over to the Legendary Creature podcast to discuss those. So please check them out. Uh, we're, we should be up in their feed pretty shortly. Um, but this episode is just going to be about the Legendary Creatures from the main set. Uh, so before we jump in, uh, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as one dollar a month if you aren't ready to be a patron yet you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts all right with that let's start talking about these legends uh what's the first legend we're going to be discussing today so i'm going to preface before i start reading the first one with there are a lot of commanders in this set that we aren't (laughs) super into so uh, i'm gonna try and to not dwell on any negativity um this first one is gonna be like a little example of that where it's like cool and cute but like i'm I'm really not trying to to rain on anybody's parade when we're talking about these so if you listen to one of these commanders and you're like well i think this like let us know Mm -hmm. um and like i said we're gonna try and talk about them in reference to like other things you can do in the format um if you see a card and you're like wow this card is really awesome and really for me um, then that's something we want to support and hopefully this episode will give you some some cool cards and tips and tricks and stuff like that so getting into this uh, starting in Wooburg order we have the first white legend it's Catilda Donhart Martyr so this is another version of a Catilda we saw before so this one is mono white it is a star star spirit warlock for three mana one white white she has flying lifelink protection from vampires, and Catilda, Dawnheart, Martyr's power, and toughness are each equal to the number of permanents you control that are spirits and or enchantments. And then she has Disturb 5, 3, white, white. So just a refresher. You probably remember Disturb because it was like a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, if Catilda is in your graveyard, you can cast her for the Disturb cost, and she enters the battlefield as... Catilda's Rising Dawn, a legendary enchantment aura, enchant a creature. Enchanted creature has flying, lifelink, protection from vampires, and gets plus X plus X, where X is the number of permanents you control that are spirits and or enchantments. And if this would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. All of the spirits in Crimson Vow disturb into auras and not into uh, spirits this time. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's let's get into this. How do you feel about this? Uh so I'm not a huge fan of this card. Um this doesn't really accomplish anything besides beating face. And while it does have evasion, its base power is one one, it doesn't have haste, and it doesn't really protect itself. So it it's missing a lot of the the key characteristics I look for in a Voltron commander. Um I mean, you get a little bit of a bonus from loading her up with auras because in addition to whatever the aura does, she also gives that buff to herself with her, her power and toughness scaling based on the number of enchantments you control. But, I mean, it doesn't like look great in comparison to like a Ural. Um, and 
she's just super vulnerable to removal. Like, yeah, you can throw a bunch of auras on her, but one Swords to Plowshares or Doomblade, and you're out a whole bunch of cards. So I would say that um, I think there's just commanders that can accomplish this better. In some ways, she's really cool um, because she gets big and she has lifelink and she gives whatever she gives lifelink. Um, so that might be some gameplay that people want. Like the problem is like, she's just a kind of French <laughs> vanilla. Yeah. Like, like I know like swinging for big and gaining a bunch of life can be like really appealing to people, but it just feels like there's so many ways to do that in commander that Katilda is not really adding anything. Um, so yeah, not, not super high on Katilda. And then I'm also like, not sure exactly what the makeup of the deck is going to be because if you're trying to like put Katilda's Rising on cool creatures, then that's limiting your enchantments that are making her and the enchantment bigger. So, yeah, this, also this, like this yeah. disturb cost is like a little confusing to me because, uh, you know, it, it costs the same amount that it would cost to cast Katilda from the command zone again. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you would just like rather if you're going for commander damage, you'd just rather recast her for the same cost. But maybe it is a way to sort of like limit the amount of commander tax you're you're paying if you just care about pure damage rather than commander damage. Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe yeah. I mean, because that that is a thing that people do sometimes, and it's not hard to um, like white has so many double strike effects to just deal a big chunk of damage in like an attack. So. Um, this is definitely not a commander that I'm like super high on as a commander, but definitely as like a piece in a deck I'm more interested in. And I guess we can talk about that in this episode. Like this, this just seems like a role player. Like this just seems like it should go in a deck more than be the head of one to me. Yeah, definitely. Moving on to the next card. This is Geralf Visionary Stitcher. It is two and a blue for a one four legendary creature human wizard. Zombies you control have flying. And you can pay blue, tap him, and sacrifice another non-token creature to create an XX blue zombie creature token where X is the sacrificed creature's toughness. So what do you think about Geralf? I actually like Geralf as a card. Like, I think that a few things that are cool about Geralf is, like, zombies really need evasion. You can make a lot of zombies, and you can have some pretty big zombies, and, and Geralf can make some pretty big zombies, but it doesn't really mean anything if... They can't get in there. And so, like, I think we mentioned in the Will Help review that Wonder is one of the blue cards that is most often put in zombie decks that's not a zombie, uh, which is a card that while it's in your graveyard and you have an island, your creatures are flying. So I think that's good tech for Giraffe to have. But the, the, the sacrifice outlet on a blue commander seems kind of weird. I just feel like you're going to be sacking things more for like value than to like make a cool big zombie or something like that. Cause there's not like a lot of reanimation in blue and stuff like that, you know? So I, to, again, draw seems a lot more like a role player to me than like the cool head of a deck. Yeah. It's hard to see how to utilize him that well as a commander. Cause there aren't a whole lot of good death triggers in mono blue. There isn't a whole lot of good sack fodder and definitely not much creature recursion. If this were a black card, like there's so many things you could do with it, but its color identity is just really limiting its build aroundness, uh, it, the the potential you have to to really make a unique deck. So I think you're right. I think this might be like a main deck role player in a zombie list to help your zombies get in. 
Um, for now, I just don't think there's a lot of support for this. This one more so than some of the other role players, I think is a really cool card. And this is something that like zombie decks, I think like the fact that it's a human wizard and not a zombie kind of hurts, but it has four toughness. So you're going to have to really try to kill it with noxious ghoul. So yeah, I mean, uh, something. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, maybe you could like do something where you're converting really efficient or creatures that are really efficient in terms of like the toughness to cost ratio maybe because they have defender like sacking a shield sphere and getting a 6-6 zombie seems kind of nice but it's still your reward is kind of just like French vanilla flying beaters Um, and it could be a little bit slow but we'll we'll see maybe there's an angle there yeah yeah, maybe because there there are a lot of big booties in in blue so it could Mm -hmm. be a cool thing get like some kind of etb or something play the blue tribal effects for zombies and go to town that way can i read off this next one sure go for it so this is jacob hawken inspector this is a zero two human advisor for one in a blue they have tap draw a card then exile a card from your hand face down you may look at that card for as long as it remains exiled you may pay six for blue blue if you do transform Jacob Hawken Inspector. So that's kind of weird. What does he transform into? He transforms into Hawkins Insight, a legendary enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of your library face down. You may look at that card for as long as it remains exiled. Once during each of your turns, you may play a card or cast a spell from among the cards exiled with this permanent without paying its mana cost. <laughs> How do you feel about this? Uh, so, God, that, that six flip cost is just so prohibitive. I mean, it's kind of cool to have a looter in the command zone, but just the fact that you don't really get a lot of synergies available to you because it doesn't work with madness cards. Uh, it can't stock your graveyard. It really only interacts with itself with the the Halkin's insight. I mean, yeah, you get your card selection over time, but six mana is a huge investment. And and the idea of like flipping this and then having it die and all of the cards I've swirled away with Jacob to that date kind of being lost forever uh, does not seem great to me. I would have loved to have seen some sort of counters on these so that Jacob can sort of pick up where he left off if his investigation gets interrupted. That's pretty much exactly how I feel too. I, I think it's kind of a cool thing. Like the fact that you get to cast them without the mana, it like turns this into a blue card and not a red card, which is actually hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like you said, like it it's a large investment. Like your guy comes down turn two, starts looting, and then if it ever dies before it transforms, like you're just done. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like all of the work that you put in, and then you gotta spend four and six to start the chain over again and you lost all those cards so I, I, i'm not really super high on this guy even though i think the design is like kind of novel yeah and i i do wish that they use the counters and just because of that um like e- even looking at this from like a commander standpoint like i'm not really sure what i'd try to do i guess cheap big spells but then again like you lose every time you try and like your opponents are going to know to kill the zero two <laughs> before yeah. like you can cast your time stretch and stuff like that and also like if the the minimum amount of mana you're putting into your big spells is eight like two to cast your commander and six to flip like 
are you really positive on mana at that point? Like, yeah, how many? It, it, it has yeah. to stick around a while for you to. You have to get the time stretch and then the appropriate expropriate and then what's another eight mana <laughs> blue spell? <laughs> like, just you have to get like two or three of them in a row before you're mana positive, and that just doesn't seem likely to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so not super high on that guy. But let's move on to the next commander. This is Henrika Domnafi. Two black black for a 1-3 legendary creature vampire. She has flying, and at the beginning of combat on your turn, choose one that hasn't been chosen. Each player sacrifices a creature. You draw a card and you lose one life. And transform Henrika Domnafi. And the opposite side, the flip side, is Henrika Infernal Seer. It's a 3-4 legendary creature vampire with flying, death touch, and lifelink. And you can pay one black black. Each creature you control with flying, death touch, and or lifelink gets plus one, plus O until end of turn. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on Henrika? This is like they took two creatures that exist and like weakened both of them and then stapled it together. Mm-hmm. And that's it you know <laughs> like she has really cool art this is one of the cards in the set that has three different arts Ooh, so all of the arts are really good on her but like i think that's honestly one of the big reasons that i would build her if i was going to at all because the front half is like what's the card bad rankle mm-hmm. um like it does all the things rankle does but not repetitively and not well and not fast and not um, like multiples at one time. Exactly. And then the back half is like a weird keyword tribal pump that uh, you you still have to, I don't know, it just it pump a bunch of mana into. So yeah, yeah just not, not crazy high on this. I think it's interesting. And the fact that it has so many keywords is interesting for probably the future or things like that. If we do go back to keyword tribal soup, like sets like Ikoria, but like not really into it right now. Yeah, what kills me is just like the activation cost is so much. Uh, I'm not going to spend like my turn six just activating this twice. It, it just seems really, really inefficient. Yeah, I'm not very high on this as a commander. I think if you want to do some sort of go wide list with mono black you're probably better off maybe doing the second version of the um blood chief drana so drana liberator of malakir the one black black for two three for flying first strike that when it hits your opponent put a plus one plus one counter on each attack and creature you control like that's uh i mean doesn't require any additional input of mana it comes down earlier than henrika um hit it pumps your creatures permanently it it works on your non-flying creatures uh it, it it's just so much better if that's what you're really trying to do with this deck and then of course rankle is is way better than the front side if that's what you're interested in so i just don't think this adds a whole lot to the format all right uh moving on to the next card this is dorothea vengeful victim it is white blue for a 4-4 legendary creature spirit it has flying, and when Dorothea attacks or blocks, sacrifice it at end of combat. It has disturb for one white blue. Once you've gotten into your graveyard, uh, she can probably help you get herself there. Um, you can cast her as Dorothea's Retribution, which is an enchantment aura with enchant creature. Enchanted creature has, whenever this creature attacks, create a 4-4 white spirit creature token with flying that's tapped and attacking. Sacrifice that token at end of combat. 
And if Dorothea's retribution would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. How do you feel about Dorothea? Zooming back out from the commander perspective into like a card design perspective, I think this card is really cool. I think it's really interesting to get the Guys to St. Traft effect. Like, how do I put that on a regular body? Uh, oh, a 4-4 four, four flying that dies. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. And then being able to put that onto another creature is great. And that's like a ton of value. Uh, so I, I can see how like they're pretty excited doing this. That said, I don't really know if there's a lot of ways to build around this. Geist of St. Traft already exists. Geist of St. Traft makes 4-4. As we have tech for Geist of St. Traft, uh, we have the Sundial of the Infinite, which will stop the turn before you sack your token. We have Populate. Like, populate. We have like ways to give him evasion. Like that deck kind of exists. People have used it for a while. And this is kind of just throwing in an extra step into the deck <laughs> where you have to have another creature to put Dorothea on before you can start doing all of that. And I know that makes the card worse, but I actually like that <laughs> a little bit more. Like that seems a little bit more interesting to me because it's like a little mini game I have to solve for myself. Um, and I'm admitting that that makes the card worse because it does. But it really does seem interesting to me that they would just print a Geist of St. Traft where you need a creature to put it on before mm-hmm. you can start doing the thing. Kind of buck wild to me. A lot of these cards like that we're talking about and a lot of the reason we're down on a lot of them is is because they're constructed builds for like standard and, and historic and whatnot. And the big problem is just like getting ex- a four extra damage a turn is really not that enticing for a commander. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, Dorothea for me is kind of stuck in the no play box that I put under my bed and uh Maybe we'll have a place in another deck at some point, but definitely not in any hurry to build her herself. Yeah, I'll I'll say like, you know, if you think we're being overly negative, I would direct you back to the Innistrad Midnight Hunt set review because I think like the commanders in that set were just better and we were very positive about most of them. Yeah, pretty much uh, all of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. like I'm looking over it right now and like th- these are just, oh, these are all bangers. Like I- I've built several of these decks. I know people who built these decks. Uh, they-, they seem very cool. They're adding archetypes to the format. And for whatever reason, Crimson Vow is just dropping the ball. Um, we're like, this is not our-, our default. We're not like just highly negative people. I just think this these commander designs are not good. Yeah, I think it's important to note as we're talking about these, that um, really, like, what these designs show us as Commander players is, like, we had the Year of Commander. Non-Commander players uh, kind of complained because it was a busted year. <laughs> <laughs> when we got Thoracle, it was when Ikoria come out and we got Companion, and they, they were really pushing all the legendaries. They were pushing Commander-like gameplay with Companions in other formats. It broke standard, <laughs> and <laughs> it wasn't just because of the year commander. Eldraine did a lot to do <laughs> break standard too, um, and other formats. So we just like the power level was really pushed, and so I was interested to see if they put two sets this close together with themes this close together, what they were going to do. And it turns out that we are not in the year of commander, and this proves it. <laughs> <laughs> They've designed a lot of these legends to be role players in standard decks be powerful enough that uh, 
if you're playing a standard game, you like shouldn't have two of them on the battlefield, hence the legendary. But uh, they're exciting and they're fun to play and um, like help game play along in these like 20 life formats. And the downside of that is that you get to listen to me and Nick uh, complain <laughs> about them for for an hour or two. So the set review is going to be pretty fast, honestly. Like we're, we're actually like I think a third of the way <laughs> done with the cards. And I actually I'm going to try to make a point this episode of like praising the design from like a card standpoint, even if as like a commander, it's not very good. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's pretty lackluster. So like I said, Dorothy's Retribution is like a cool idea. It's a cool way to implement this in standard. A 4-4 four, four flyer for two mana is cool, but like that just doesn't translate to commander. And that's how most of these cards are. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say about Dorothea, but uh, the next card actually is something you could play in commander, which is pretty exciting. Sure, uh, I'm, I'm happy to move on to the next one. This is yeah. Runo Stromkirk. Uh, it is one blue-black for a 1-4 legendary creature vampire cleric with flying. When it enters the battlefield, put up to one target creature card from your graveyard on top of your library. At the beginning of your upkeep, look at the top card of your library. You may reveal that card. If a creature card with mana value 6 or greater is revealed this way, transform Runo Stromkirk. And then the opposite side is Crothus, Lord of the Deep. It is a 3-5 legendary creature, Kraken Horror, with flying. And when it attacks, create a tapped and attacking token that's a copy of another target attacking creature. If that creature is a Kraken, Leviathan, Octopus, or Serpent, create two of those tokens instead. Do you think this is the sea monster commander we've been waiting for? (laughs) I think it's two kings just staring at each other, which is pretty good. (laughs) I am not as down on it as you are. I don't think it is the sea monster commander we've been waiting for. I do think this is going to become the de facto sea monster commander for casual players. There's a bunch of sea monsters that do work pretty well with this, like spawning kraken. Um, you attack, you get two of them, you get four, <laughs> like six sixes. That's like that's pretty cool. But you know what else is pretty cool is just getting another rune scarred demon, or getting like another any big thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. There's just not a lot of good ETB, Kraken, Serpents, Leviathans, Octopuses, those kind of things. Most of the ones that exist are kind of like limited uh, standard game enders. They yeah. like are big bodies. Um, or like crappy island home guys. <laughs> yeah. So really, if we were going to get a commander that supported those tribes, uh, I would hope that it just helps you cheat them into play more than gives you two of them. But just the fact that it doubles your octopuses means that we're definitely going to get people who try to do that, even if that might not be the strongest way to go about it. Yeah, I just think like this to me, it it looks like it looks like they're just trying to pay lip service to this tribe. Like they know they've they've hinted at Runo and his like sea cult for years and years now. And they know it has to have something to do with the ocean. So they just threw on that text. But honestly, like the the, the main part of Krothus, the part where you're just creating copies of your attacking tokens. And, and right now I'm going to sidestep the question of that, whether that's like really in Blue's color pie, because it looks a lot <laughs> like a flame rush writer. But but it's, it's just like that part of the design could get printed in ev- in any set. It doesn't need to have transform. It doesn't need to touch on Kraken Leviathan, Octopus, or Serpent. You just make like a six mana Kraken that 
when it attacks, you create a tap and attacking token that's a copy of another target attacking creature. That's a card that can go in any set. So in in terms of like, does this card really execute on the concept of like Bruno Stromkirk's Sea God and like a sea monster commander? I think it's it just kind of fails there. It feels very tacked on. Yeah. One of the bummers too is that a lot of the cool Krakens, Leviathans, Octopuses, whatnot, have like a cast clause on them, which is pretty bummer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like Breach and Leviathan, which is like a 9-9 nine, nine for 9, uh, it's when it enters the battlefield, if you cast it, tap all non-blue creatures, they don't untap. So it's like getting two more 9-9s, nine and, and it, it's true, like the reason this isn't red is much like the reason that Hawkins isn't red is because you get to keep them forever <laughs> mm-hmm. it's not temporary so you'll you will get two more nine nines but they are just vanilla nine nine tokens you know so but that that's all of them like if you want elder deep fiend which is an octopus with a cool etb oh wait it's a cool cast trigger when you cast this spell tap up to four target permanent so that's another and- bummer about this design they really like didn't look at like what the tribe was doing yeah, and and here's the thing, like maybe maybe you like cast a uh, careful study or, or something on turns one and two, uh get a six drop creature into your graveyard, you cast Runo Stromkirk on turn three, put it on top, turn four, you're able to uh you're you're able to attack with or like able to flip Runo and then attack with Krothus, but it doesn't really answer the question of like, okay, how do I get the big beefy guys onto the battlefield and attacking that I would want to copy with Krothus. Like there, there is a three card combo required to make reanimation work. And mm. I think that's like the only way you can, uh, I mean, or, or that it feels like that's what this card is telling you to do. Cause it wants you to set up your graveyard by like discarding something so that room Runo Stromkirk can transform. So, uh, you pro- you need a discard outlet. You need a reanimation spell, and you need just like the big fatty you're going to reanimate. And this card doesn't help you with any of those things, so it's not particularly useful as a reanimation commander. Even though it's kind of telling you that that's what you should be doing, you should be getting these fatties into your yard, and you should be cheating them out early so that Krothus can copy them. But it just does not help you in any way to accomplish that. So this is Toxrail the Corrosive. This is a 7-7 seven, seven Slug Horror for 7 mana. 5 black black. Uh, and yes, I did say Slug Horror. Um, at the beginning of each end step, each end step, put a slime counter on each creature you don't control. Creatures you don't control get minus 1, minus 1 for each slime counter on them. Whenever a creature you don't control with a slime counter on it dies, create a 1-1 black slug creature token. And blue-black, sacrifice a slug, draw a card. Wow, this is a beating. Like, this this seems like uh, Shieldred, but, like, almost worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, this will definitely, like, kill all of your opponent's creatures within one to two turns. Um, and because it's so efficient at just making it impossible for your opponents to play magic, 
this has got to be one of the biggest removal magnets ever printed. Um, like, and, and it really doesn't help that you're in a color identity that's not great at ramping. So you're going to like work really hard and, and cast a bunch of mana rocks and get your tox roll down, maybe, you know, two turns early if you're lucky. Um, and then it's going to eat, you know, an infernal grasp or whatever. Uh, and then you've got the challenge of casting it for nine and then casting it for 11. And it seems like it's going to be a challenge, especially if you actually want to build this deck as black blue like its color identity suggests then like coffers isn't going to be as good you're going to need some way to fix for swamps but if it does survive if your opponent if your opponents don't have a lot of spot removal then this does completely take over the game um but it seems like it's going to be really feast or famine like either you dominate totally or you are your commander is never really able to do its thing because your opponents just keep removing it and it's hard to cast. Yeah, this is definitely in the same category of commanders as like a um, Rakdos Lord of Riots or um, just any of those like super high priority like kill this or the game is completely transformed mm-hmm. commanders. Um, uh, yeah, you really are going to have to be leaning on reward coffers if they like exile either one of those pieces. Um, you're probably screwed. You're probably going to play like a Magus of the Coffers just to be safe. Yeah, just seven mana to do this is like, like I know it's not impossible in blue, black. I know people have been doing this for years. There's mana rocks and whatnot, but like, um, uh, I guess I guess that's the one thing about this card is like you don't really need. <laughs> anything else so if you just make a bunch of mana with mana rocks and like have some kill spells or like maybe reanimation or something like that like toxrill kind of does everything else for Mm -hmm. you but to me that's not a very compelling like build you know like i don't want my commander to be um like the the question and the answer all in one piece i want it to like give me a build direction and like let me play with some cool cards they don't normally get to play with and tox Real definitely doesn't do that for me yeah uh, one thing i think is kind of interesting well actually I'll, I'll, I'll wait until we get further down um one last thing i want to say about tox Real is uh micah on our discord pointed out that he does have strong synergy with sludge monster so sludge monster is three blue blue it's a uh, rare from innistrad midnight hunt it's a 5-5, five, five, and when it enters the battlefield or attacks, you can put a um, slime counter on target creature, and then non-horror creatures with slime counters on them uh, are 2-2s two with no abilities. So the slime monster will uh, not only add slime counters, which Toxrill will use to make them smaller, but it'll also reduce their base toughness and power so that Toxrill will kill them faster. So That is uh, actually pretty cool. Yeah, neat little little synergy there. You almost wish that like Sludge Monster was like a a slug horror, but maybe a missed yeah. opportunity there. <laughs> I know. Yeah, they they really uh, they really jumped that one. That slug, yeah, the, all the creature types they gave it were like not quite what it needed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but let's move on to the next commander. We've got another blue black commander to talk about. You want to read this one off? Yes, and I do want to preface this with this is a Crimson Vow commander, like commander card, but you cannot get it in the precons. 
This is one of the cards that you can only get in the set boosters. So we're going to talk about it here just because like I, it, I know like in in theory it's technically a, one of the commander precon cards but like it's it's you, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> like it's 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 you get it in a set booster like the other cards in the set. This is this is part of the set. But that said, this is Umbris Fear Manifest. A 1-1 one, one Nightmare Horror for 5 mana, 3 blue-black. Umbrus Fear Manifest gets plus 1, plus 1 for each card your opponents own in exile. Whenever Umbrus or another Nightmare or Horror enters the battlefield under your control, target opponent exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a land card. So, really what's going on here is you have this 5 mana guy. It's blue-black. And uh, he just is huge. <laughs> if you ever wanted to have the, oh, what's that Demir Horror? The Oh, Consuming Aberration? Yeah, if you just ever wanted to have Consuming Aberration as like a commander, well, they did that for you. And his name is Umbris. Uh, go to town. He's going to be huge. Yeah, this is a really interesting card. Not perhaps the direction i would have gone for like nightmare or horror tribal it's i mean it's nice that because it tracks something that will kind of always be true like cards aren't going to leave your opponent's exile zone most likely you can cast it it'll add some cards to exile and then it'll maintain its buff the next time it comes back um so i i think that the i i really don't like this design because it implies you should be doing something that actually won't really help you at all um, <laughs> so like it's saying like play nightmares and horrors but because it's only target opponent and because it's only exile cards until they hit a land card um you're casting nightmares and horrors is maybe gonna get you like three to four cards off of one opponent's library it's not an enormous buff for Umbris. So I don't think that's just the most efficient way to pump him up. Um, mm-hmm. The What I do think is the most efficient way is Tasha's Hideous Laughter. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so this is like the perfect card for this deck. Uh, it's one blue-blue uh, for a sorcery. Um, each opponent exiles cards from the top of their library until that player has exiled cards with total mana value 20 or more. So, I mean, you can take a look at your your average CMC, uh, but just in practice, just like me sort of flipping cards off the top of various decks, This, if you have three opponents when you cast this, Umbris will be a one-hit KO. So... That is just so much more efficient than kind of any other game plan. I wonder if you should just be running as many tutors as possible to find Tasha's Hideous Laughter uh, because it's like the only card really that matters in your deck. And then you just cast Umbris, give give him evasion somehow, and knock out your opponents one by one. Yeah, I think like one of the things about just having a big donk as your commander, just a thing that is massive, is that there are interesting ways to like utilize that um like basically it's all about the one hits but basically the question that's being asked here is like how do you make him big what you do with that is up to you after that but like i think other game plans are like ashiok dream render which is the war of the spark uncommon uh it's like one hybrid blue black hybrid blue black so three mana 
and it exiles graveyards. So mill someone four and then exiles graveyards and it does that a bunch of times. That's another good way to like make them pretty big because uh, at bare minimum it gives plus four plus four. But if you play them later in the game, sorry, if you play Ashiok later in the game, then uh, graveyards might already have cards in them. You keep exiling them. You keep making uh, Umbris bigger. Um, and there, there's a bunch of other ways to do that. There's been like Relic of Progenitus, Tormod Crypt, um, things like that that exile graveyards. Sure. Bog, yeah. All of these things contribute to the size of Umbris and have uh, been role players for a long time. So is that a cool reward for playing these cards? Like is is just having a huge donk like cool and fun? Um, ye, I'll let the listener be the judge. Uh, this is not something I'm gonna want to do, but this might be something that you want to do. Um, I could see how someone could have fun with this card. Yeah. Um. One one other thing I'll note is there there are some other ways to get your um to to get like a lot of cards in exile. For example, Faceless Butcher is a nightmare. Um, it's two black black for a two three when it enters the battlefield, exile target creature. Uh, and then when it leaves the battlefield, turn that creature to the battlefield under its owner's control. So it's kind of like a proto fiend hunter in black. Um, but if you have that and two clones, uh, then they can just keep coming in as faceless butchers and then creating sort of like an overing loop where if you have Umbris on the battlefield, okay, I've gotten enough nightmare triggers. I've just exiled all my opponent's permanence. Then I can end the loop at any time by just having the clone copy something else or having the faceless butcher exile something else. Um, so that's like a possibility for a combo finish. But again, you know, that's something to do if like for whatever reason you just aren't able to get in with Umbris. But I, I just think like Tasha's hideous laughter is is so perfect for this deck that like any other like a combo or synergy that you have to assemble is just worse than finding and resolving that card. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, so, uh, we're getting into the section of the show where, Oh, well, I guess we've kind of already been there. There's just a lot of vampires in the set. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I thought there were more in this particular color identity, which is black red, which we're going to start talking about, but there's actually not as much. So I guess, uh, can I read off this first one? Sure, go for it. So this is Angie, Maid of Dishonor. So Angie Falconrath got a second card printed. Uh, she is a 4-5 vampire for 4 mana, 2 black red. Whenever Angie, Maid of Dishonor, and or one or more other vampires enter the battlefield under your control, create a blood token. This triggers only once per turn. And then she has 2, sacrifice another creature or a blood token, each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. <laughs> it's it's weird. You're building vampires. You're playing vampires to get blood. And then you're attacking them to drain people. <laughs> Does this seem very compelling to you? I want to preface this by saying that I don't like blood in red commanders. Um because you already have access to Thrill of Possibility, Faithless Looting, Tormenting Voice, Wild Guess, all these many, many uh, rummaging spells. I it, it just doesn't seem necessary to me. Like I'm, I don't really want to jump through the hoop of getting a bunch of vampires entering the battlefield um, in order to get access to an effect that is just natural to my color identity. 
Uh, so that's something I'm not in love with. That being said, um, there are a couple ways to get vampires entering the battlefield repeatedly, and there's some good ways to uh, synergize with blood tokens in this color identity. So because Bloodgast is a vampire, if you build your deck with a lot of fetch lands, you could potentially get, and of course, sack outlets, you could potentially, um, you know, get your blood, blood gas to enter on your turn and then like crack a fetch and get another blood counter or blood token on somebody else's turn, provided that you can get your blood gas back to the graveyard in between. Um, so that's maybe an angle to go with. Maybe you run a bunch of like entomb effects or um, uh, buried alive, et cetera, et cetera, unmarked grave. And then another thing that works pretty well with blood is um, Oval Chase Daredevil. So this is back from Kaladesh. Um, this is three and a black for a four two human pilot. Whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, you may return Oval Chase Daredevil from your graveyard to your hand. So one nice thing you can do is you can discard your Oval Chase Daredevil to your blood token, draw a card, and then make another blood token. You know, have it. You have your blood gas come back, whatever. Uh, and then your Oval Chase Daredevil is going to trigger and return to your hand. So rather than just getting card selection um, by cycling through this blood tokens, you're actually generating card advantage. So that is a, a potentially a nice bonus. Um, it really, really makes... Because like Bloodgast and Oval Chase Daredevil seem like the two most important cards in this deck, I really, really wish we had more... Uh, buried alive variants more cards like that hopefully we can see more in the future especially since like and and we'll get into this more when we do our set review with the legendary creature guys but we've gotten a a really good tutor effect just like generic tutor get anything in this set that i think is going to become a format staple so it's it's weird that they're printing new competitive tutors and not new cards that narrowly put cards in your graveyard it's it's more narrow it supports fewer archetypes so it like improves the format's diversity i'd really love to see more cards like unmarked grave just on a regular basis yeah. rather than more efficient tutors yeah i i mean i i definitely agree i think like to get on blood because like the really big thing about angie is is well i have i actually only have two notes so the first one is just how much blood gas does for the tribe of vampires mm-hmm. and i've thought this before um like just not on the show necessarily but just like as we're playing i've been like man the fact that they stapled vampire onto this guy really really is doing work for this tribe um you can really see that here and you're going to keep seeing that here as we talk about these like black uh vampire commanders uh which there are a few more i think um and the other one is is just more about blood tokens because we talked about um nick, nick just talked about a bunch of cool ways to do stuff with blood tokens but uh, did you go over like the like the a lot of the ways to go? I, I have not. Tokens? I have not. That whole uh, that whole paragraph is ripe for the picking. Yeah. So th- just so we don't have to keep bringing this up, because most of these commanders that talk about blood tokens, um, basically this is true for all of them, uh, and you're going to notice that uh, certain colors like them more than others. Really, blood tokens, they're an artifact token that they make you discard, you draw cards, so there's a lot of hooks there, and 
basically there's a few cards that really work well with them. Some of them you've heard before because they work well with treasure and clues and food and whatnot. But they are sacrifice fodder for like a goblin engineer or audacious reshapers, reality scramble, which is like particularly the, the reshapers and the scramble is really good. Indomitable creativity, also another really good one. And then like reprocess and God Eternal Bantu, which like you sack a bunch of things to draw a bunch of cards. Uh, who cares about discarding cards when you can just <laughs> turn them into cards? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Keskit to every three blood is one, uh, or sorry, is a, is a few cards actually for you. So that's pretty cool. And then like Nick was saying, they're discard outlets uh, and they trigger like Quicksmith Genius. Um, you can copy the effect with Kirkesh, which is something I'm particularly interested in as someone with a Kirkesh deck. Uh, and they're just artifacts so you can combo with clock of omens perhaps maybe who knows um clock of omens is tap two artifacts you control untap target artifact gear up or aether grid uh, oh yeah there you go tap two untapped artifacts you control uh deal one damage to any target it's another potential use for these yeah so this is all to say that like these are things that i'm going to mention now that that nick mentioned some of them now so we don't have to keep talking about them and I think insofar as Angie Made of Dishonor is an interesting deck, it's because you're kind of writing this line between like how many vampires do I want to play to get blood tokens and how much do I want to utilize the blood tokens. Mm-hmm. I think all the cards mentioned just now work pretty well in Angie. Um, they're all things that I would try to play in some degree. I, I didn't mention too many you could play all of them but i'm not sure if your deck would work if you were to do that and um, this is something that i'd have to try but the problem is i just don't really care <laughs> about angie <laughs> as a commander it's pretty boring to me um and blood is really not like where i thought it was going to be I, I, we kind of had an inkling that there were going to be artifact tokens um but I was hoping it would be a lot more like a mechanic that Nick had actually designed in the past. Um, and oh, yeah, what I, we got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I made um, a couple years ago, um, I made a set that had a artifact type that was really, really similar to Blood Token. And the main difference was that you just didn't have to pay mana. I mean, you know, I'm not a play design person. Maybe the mana payment is really, really important. But it just feels so terrible to have to to be pumping mana in and not even getting advantage, just getting like yeah. quality. It it just doesn't feel great. Um, and I think it limits it. And also I I think that the fact that so many of these blood commanders are red really limits it as well. There's only one commander that produces blood that isn't red. And we'll uh, get and it, to him. <laughs> yeah, and he, he kind of sucks for other reasons, but yeah, um, yeah, it's the blood is not the reason he's bad. <laughs> yeah, um, but let, let's move on to another vampire commander. This is Olivia Crimson Bride, um, four black red for a three four legendary creature, vampire noble with flying and haste. Whenever Olivia Crimson Bride attacks, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped and attacking. It gains when you don't control a legendary vampire exile this creature uh what do you think about olivia how do you like your new card i actually like it a lot this is uh this is actually my favorite olivia i i like this Mm -hmm. more than any of the previous ones um it's relatively novel um there aren't a lot of reanimator commanders that play exactly like this so this is pretty cool like 
I like that, you know, it's it's utilizing the fact that a red and black deck is going to have a bunch of discard outlets. So you can for sure set up your graveyard really well uh, by the time she comes down. Um, there's a little bit of combo potential. If you have a Breath of Fury, uh, Breath of Fury is two red red for an enchantment aura, enchant creature control. Whenever enchanted creature deals combat damage to a player, sacrifice it and attach Breath of Fury to a creature you control. If you do, untap all creatures you control, and after this phase, there is an additional combat phase. So with every combat phase, you're bringing something back with Olivia. So as long as you keep passing Breath of Fury among your reanimated creatures, as long as it never goes on Olivia, you just get infinite combat steps. You get like infinite of your creatures entering and leaving the battlefield, if that matters. So that's a really easy way to like close out the game potentially um, after you've had some fun with your Olivia. But in addition to that, there's also just some incredibly powerful things you can do, like your on color for Sire of Insanity, which is uh, <laughs> <This> bonkers. <laughs> is is bonkers in most decks, but especially good in a deck where you're playing out of your graveyard. So you sort of have access to a hand of cards, um, but your opponents have nothing. And they keep losing it at the end of at the beginning of each end step. I think those two, like the Sire of Insanity line, like the Breath of Fury line, are like the two best things to do with the deck. And then beyond that, it's just like, oh, you know, you you get cool value, you reanimate huge donks. I think it's gonna be yeah. a lot of fun to play this commander. Yeah, it's like flavor to taste. And it's um I, I agree. This is probably my favorite Olivia just because it gives you the most direct build path. Um mm-hmm. the other ones were like pretty lackluster, one of them just ping stole creatures the other one kind of reanimated but like not good <laughs> well like, it just like dumped things in your it was like yeah it dumped sort things of in the yard it like implied that it was vampire tribal but actually no it just makes everything else vampire so it's not even yeah you didn't have to work at the vampire net you weren't playing all the cool vampires you were just playing cards yeah um and this one uh really like <laughs> this one just kicks butt like it's it's really cool to get this reanimator gameplay i think six man is a good place for this i love that it has haste so you get to turn six as long as you've been like doing your due diligence before turn six you get to reanimate something from the get-go uh and then there's just some like cool tech like conjurer's closet like mm, lets you keep whatever for whatever without that like owning a legendary vampire clause and yeah a bunch of yeah other stuff. there's a couple so, ways to get around the the fact that you know when she leaves the party's over yeah so like i love decks where entomb is good i love discarding my cards to get them back like i think people love zombify i just i think she's going to be pretty popular in so far as like uh reanimation commanders are um she does have to compete in the same space with like chainer 2.0 which um I don't know. I, I'm assuming people are going to like her. I, I feel like there's more people who know and like Olivia than knew and like Chainer. I don't really think many people read the Odyssey block like mm-hmm. novels. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's a pretty small number of people who have nostalgia for that character, even though um, I very much like Chainer 2.0 and I think a lot of people do. So I'm wondering what's going to happen there if this is going to like serve Chainer as the like red black reanimate commander. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we'll see. This seems like a very Timmy friendly card, uh, in addition to being like a powerful one. So that might lead it to do well. And of course, like because it, 
she is getting a lot of exposure. It's her face on the booster packs, you know. So yeah, and this this is another card with multiple art. So um, you're gonna see her face multiple different ways <laughs> on mm-hmm. the tables. Um, do can I read off this next one? Yes, go right ahead. Cool. So this is a uh, a famous duo finally on the same card together. This is Halana and Elena Partners. They are a two three human ranger with first strike reach. They cost four mana, two red green, and they have just a single uh, ability. At the beginning of combat on your turn, put X plus one plus one counters on another target creature you control, where X is Halana and Elena's power. That creature gains haste until end of turn. Um, wow, this really, I feel like we've seen this before. Am I, <laughs> am I dreaming? Have we seen this before? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it, yeah. It it definitely looks a lot like Xenagos, God of Rebels. Um, I I think I prefer Xenagos. You know, he's very very hard to disrupt. Um, he also gives like an enormous power bonus. Whereas Halana and Elena, if you really want to to make that work for you, you're gonna have to waste a lot of sl- slots just pumping him up. Um, I, I I definitely prefer him. I. Um, I'm happy to see these two on the card together. And I think that they both got some pretty interesting cards back in Commander Legends. So it's okay if this one is less good. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I think like if your playgroup is for whatever reason, like lower to the ground, this is probably fine. If you like playing with counters, that's fine. Uh, that's kind of fun. Um, you definitely are not going to get to one shot like you do with Xenagos. Like Xenagos mm-hmm. just, just, it's pretty hard to beat that power yeah. boost. Like it's not forever, but um, it doesn't need to be forever when they're yeah, dead. yeah. When it's like a putrefax coming at you, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think it's cool. I think the art's good. Uh, there's a few different arts for these these two, and it's cool. Um, so if, if your preference is with plus one plus one counters, you know what, go for it. Have a good time. Um, if you uh, just want a commander that doesn't die and as a, a lot similar but probably more powerful gameplay, I would play Zen of God. Yeah. Um, this next guy is actually really strong. Um, yeah, this is probably the one of the, the one of the better commanders from this set. Um, yeah. This is Torin's Fist of the Angels. It is one green white for a two two legendary creature, human cleric. Uh, he has training, which means whenever this creature attacks with another creature with greater power, put a plus and plus one counter on this creature. Uh, and then whenever you cast a creature spell, create a 1-1 one, one green and white human soldier creature token with training. Um, so whenever I see cast triggers like this, I think about like what is the most efficient way to accomplish this? How, how can I get as many of these triggers as possible? And because it he looks so much like Karametra, you know, another commander in the same color identity that really cares about you casting creature spells. You you can kind of just look at those decks for ideas of like what tech is going to be good here. So Earthcraft is uh or like Alluren are both ways to significantly reduce the effective cost of your creatures, especially like because Torrens is producing humans. Um you can also in addition to like tapping your creature that's entering the battlefield to the Earthcraft to generate mana, you can also tap this human soldier token to generate more mana. 
uh, and then creatures that bounce themselves like white mane lion or core skyfisher. Um, if you have either one of those creatures and either one of those enchantments, then you just go infinite and get infinite human soldiers. Uh, also, another good way to use this card is because your humans have one toughness. They are skull clamp compliant. You can run a bunch of equipment tutors, try to just draw a bunch of cards off your humans, um, and then potentially drawing more creatures, which will then get you more humans, and you can kind of snowball from there. Um, and also seems like a really good main deck card for a Katilda list, um, just because your Katilda list is naturally going to be casting a lot of humans, or rather a lot of creatures, and the humans then can tap for mana. But I don't know if there's anything you want to say about this guy in addition yeah, to those I, uses. So, I mean, um, I think the closest uh, comparison is God Eternal Oketra, but like this is just so massively better. Like God Eternal Oketra gave you like big tokens, but actually the fact that these are small tokens is kind of a benefit to you. Uh, you're also in green, so you just have access to more stuff, more card draw. Uh, more pump effects and um kind of gets me into training like i like training so much more than mentor because it kind of follows the natural flow of the game a lot better than mentor did mentor is like all right so now i can buff my guy that i played the turn before where mentor or training is kind of like uh i'm always kind of attacking above curve because i'm gonna play a bigger creature and attack and like my guys get bigger and so that said, like, uh, this deck actually plays pretty well with, like, if you're not trying to combo with it, plus one, plus one counter synergies, like casting a bunch of, of creatures, getting a bunch of humans, and then just attacking. All of your training guys are going to get a plus one, plus one counter basically for free. Uh, and then any of them that survive will contribute to your plus one, plus one counter synergies. And you really didn't have to do anything <laughs> to make that happen. So I think that's a cool thing about this guy, too, is like, not only can he combo, but he also works really well with your your armorcraft judge, your um, the one that gives him indestructible. There's just, there's a ton of them, um, and then it's like some sort of call. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's from that one is from uh, Dragons of Tarkir. The one I'm the other one I'm talking about. It's a sorcery, and it bolsters. Um, so there, uh, there's just a lot of ways. Call and it's a, it's an instant. Sorry. Oh, it is an instant. Heck yeah. So yeah, inspiring call, uh, armorcraft judge. These things just kind of naturally work in a Torrens list without you even trying. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I think that's an interesting other factoid about this guy. So like I would definitely run kind of similar things: white mane lion, core skyfisher that I was running it when I had to God Eternal Aketra list. Um, Stone cloaker is another really good one, and that one gives mm -hmm. you the added value of exiling cards from graveyards at instant speed. So stone cloaker is a three-two flying flash gargoyle for three mana when it etbs you bounce a creature you control and exile a card from a graveyard but yeah there's there's even more yes uh fleetfoot panther is another one that also has flash uh, and there's emancipation angel which does not have flash but both of those are um three cmc options that can bounce themselves mm -hmm. so really there's just torrens is like one of my favorite commanders in this whole set just there's so much room for him there's a lot of things he can do he's got a lot of hooks uh, and training, I just like a lot more than uh, its kind of mechanical counterpart of Mentor. It just, I think, does a lot more work. Mm -hmm. But yeah, can I read off this next commander? Yes, go right ahead. So this is Edgar Charmed Groom. And uh, we've got Edgar 2.0. Do you think he's going <laughs> to 
<laughs> you think he's going to match up? I can't even joke about that. Uh, he's a 4-4 vampire noble for 4 mana, 2 white-black. Other vampires you control get plus 1, plus 1. When Edgar Charmed Groom dies, return it to the battlefield, transformed under its owner's control. And he becomes Edgar Markov's Coffin, which honestly is hilarious <laughs> to me. But at the beginning of your upkeep, create a 1-1 white and black vampire creature token with lifelink. Then put a bloodline counter on Edgar Markov's Coffin. Then if there are three or more bloodline counters on it, remove those counters and transform it. So um, this is definitely as strong as the first version right we're definitely we're definitely uh, like you sit down with charmed groom and you're like okay we got to focus this guy yeah this is uh yeah. uh not an upgrade for sure i think edgar is <laughs> uh, perhaps let himself go a little bit um <laughs> there there's just already so many vampire lords uh in white and black um I don't think this really adds a unique angle to tribal vamps. It's not that like another Lord is really what the tribe needed. Um, I mean, it's, it's nice that there is now an option. If you want to do tribal vampires in white, black, there wasn't any explicitly tribal commanders in this specific color identity before. Um, so I guess, I guess that's something. Um, and I guess there's a little bit of build around if you want to run some proliferation, um, then you can proliferate the bloodline counters and get him to flip back to the charmed groom state a little more quickly. But uh, overall, I'm I think this is a really like uninspired design. It 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 seems pretty boring to me. And the obviously Edgar Markov is just much better. Yeah, I think the you kind of hit on the note. That I think, like, if you want to play Edgar Charmed Groom, it's because you want to play, like, a white-black vampire list. Um, I think that is the reason to run Edgar, not because he's strong, not because he's good. Um, and he's not, like, bad. It's not like you're going to not do anything if you play an Edgar. He's not, like, the next card we're going to talk about after him. <laughs> um, but uh, he's definitely, like, massively underpowered. He... he um. Like you said, he really let himself go. He he's got to get on that stairmaster again, you know, kind of get back mm-hmm. on it for the the next time we see him. Oh, for sure. Um, do you do you want to get into this next guy? Well, we're we're gonna gloss over him. We're gonna be really quick. This is yeah. Uh, this is old Rutstein. Uh, one black green for a one four legendary creature human peasant. When old Rutstein enters the battlefield or at the beginning of your upkeep, mill a card. If a land card is milled this way, create a treasure token. If a creature card is milled this way, create a 1-1 green insect creature token. If a non-creature, non-land card is milled this way, create a blood token. So I really dislike this design. Um, Like, there's not a lot of build around. um, Because, like, yeah, you can... this you're in a decent color identity to potentially set up the top card of your library, but the reward for doing so is so minor that like, why would you even bother? Like if you're, you're choosing between a single mana or a one, one or a blood token, like none of those are really compelling. If you really want to do some interesting top of library stuff, you can play like the Victus as Mati, the dire something where it's like, Oh, actually influences influencing the top card of my library is, uh, potentially incredibly influential. But with old Rutstein, 
I, I just wish he had some sort of different trigger because you yeah. can't <laughs> you can't make it happen more often. You can't control it. Uh, like this reward isn't terrible if you were doing something to if you could potentially make it happen a lot. It could be a reason to build your deck a certain way. But as it stands, I just don't know really what you would put in this deck, and I I don't want to build around Old Redstein. Yeah, the best part about this card is the fact that like an old man is offering you like bugs and blood, but then <laughs> sometimes he's like, and I have this crown for you. And you're like, dude, nice, thanks. It was worth sticking around for all the bugs and stuff. But yeah, he's not <laughs> he's like, What what do I do with this? Like he's basically like a one four for three, mm-hmm. and that's not anywhere near a compelling design. So oh well. <laughs> Do you want to get into this next, like, really funny <laughs> tribal design? Yeah, this yeah. This so funny. This, is, this next one's kind of bizarre. This is Grolnak, or sorry, Grolnak, the Omnivore. Two green-blue for a 3-3 legendary creature frog. Whenever a frog you control attacks, mill three cards. Whenever a permanent card is put into your graveyard from your library, exile it with a croak counter on it. You may play lands and cast spells from among cards you own in exile with croak counters on them. So this implies that it's a tribal design with that first line of text. But really, like because it's broken up in this way, because it's broken up into multiple triggers, you can just focus on the middle trigger of like whenever a permanent card is put into your graveyard from your library, and you don't have to worry about like doing the frogs to then get that first trigger, to then get the second trigger, which which then gets you something actually valuable. You can just skip right ahead to, okay, I do self-mill and I get free cards. And that's the, probably the most effective way to build this commander. Yeah, this reminds me a lot of like Crested Sunmare, where um, people were like, oh, horse tribal, horse tribal, horse tribal. That was, that was me. That I said that. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> so, but the thing about Crested Sunmare, and I, if you listen back to our, our set review at the time, uh, and I think I think this is played out in some ways is that like they're just using a tribe that doesn't have support as um as like a way to facilitate this mechanical hook because Crested Sunmare isn't really a horse tribal card; it's a life gain card, and I think that's what's going on here. Like Grolnock isn't a frog tribal card; it's a mill <laughs> card. You know, like it's mill your library with Grolnock out. And get a go and get a bunch of, of like cards, and then if you happen to have some more frogs, like some changelings or whatever, like go to town. Or it, same with Crested Sunmare. It's like if you happen to have a horse, <laughs> mm-hmm. just on the battlefield, it's indestructible. But really, it's about that life gain trigger. So I, I think you kind of identified that too here when you're saying it's kind of about that middle trigger with Grolnog. That said, like. That's a lot of cards. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're going to get a lot of cards off of this guy, and you're going to be able to play a lot of cards and do a lot of things. Milling yourself is not hard to do in blue-green. Um, you can get a ton of different ways to like just either put the top card of your library into your graveyard or mill like X or something like that. Yeah, there's just know. a bunch there's of... so many. There's just a bunch of cards that, yeah, like you mentioned... Like surveilling does this, or the the many many variations on like reveal the top four cards of your library and put a land or put a creature from among them into your hand, the rest in your graveyard. There's just so many ways to do that. You have to be a little bit careful because like 
if you kind of overload on these instants and sorceries that do that, you're going to like mill less permanence that you can then play with your commander. Um, but I think that's that's uh, that's pretty it's pretty easy to avoid that. Um, and I, I do want to mention that there is some like relatively easy combo potential with this commander. Um, oh yeah, using Hermit Druid. So Hermit Druid, I'm sure you all know what it does, but if you run no basic lands in your deck and you activate Hermit Druid, he will mill your entire library. Uh, and then if you have a Thassa's Oracle in your deck, Thassa's Oracle gets exiled with a Croak Counter on it, and then you can cast it and immediately win the game because your library is empty. That is an, a thing that you can do with Rollknock, so keep that in mind if you really want to build this list. Uh, if you don't want to do that, then I would let your opponents know that before the beginning of the game because otherwise they're going to be expecting it and things will go badly for you. Yeah, I, I expect to see two types of Grolnock lists. I expect the Seed EDH Thassa's Oracle win, and I expect the uh, I want to play with Mesmeric Orb and um, Dreamborn Muse and uh, mm-hmm. my Changelings <laughs> and, <laughs> and stuff kind of Grolnock list where uh, it's a lot less powerful. They are going to make hypnotoad jokes, um, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> like there's two types of players. I think Grolnock appeals to, which is actually pretty funny because they're complete opposites of each other. Um, not to say that there's not going to be people in the middle that are like doing powerful things, uh, milling themselves a lot, perhaps with like increasing. Oh, what's it? Increasing increasing confusion and cards like that seem like they're pretty fine and good with Grolnock. So I'm assuming we'll, there's going to be like a spectrum of Grolnock lists, but those are the two I expect to see most is the mm-hmm. really like, I like playing with frogs guy and the, I like winning with Oracle guy. <laughs> yep. Do you want to talk right. about this next one? Because this is a weird <laughs> design for, for the color identity it's in. Yeah. Uh, so this next one is a Ruth um, tormented prophet. Uh, it's one blue-red for a 2-4 legendary creature human wizard. If you would draw a card, exile the top two cards of your library instead. You may play those cards this turn. Uh, so this is pretty interesting. Um, it's worth noting that when you have this on the battlefield, uh, you can't lose due to milling. Um, it's also worth noting that this works really, really well with wheel effects um, because you're not discarding anything. Like as, as soon as you've like gotten your hand empty with Aerith, it's never gonna refill. So anything that requires you to discard your hand and draw cards, well, you can skip that first part. You're just drawing cards. Um, so it seems like there. This is really, really strong combo potential. Uh, I, I can imagine it wouldn't be. Because you're, you know, drawn twice as many cards, I can imagine it wouldn't be that much of a challenge to just fill your deck with um, like rituals and card draw spells, and you could probably just go off and and cast a lot of your library. Um, I, I think it would probably work pretty easily. But what are your thoughts yeah. on this commander? No, actually, this is one that like really kind of I had to think about and. Uh... I did not have a lot of time to think this week, but this is one that really like, cause it, it looks kind of boring. It looks bad on the surface, but 
the amount of cards that work well with this is actually pretty insane. So uh, I'm just going to start going through them. The, the, the one that just is good is in Snaring Bridge. Uh, having a small hand means people don't attack you. And then these are the two that really kind of made me go, okay, there's something deeper here. That's Idle Thoughts and Seagate Wreckage, which have two draw a card only if you have no cards in hand. That made me go, oh, okay, maybe there is something more here. Um, the Biblioplex uh, runs very similarly to this. That's from Strixhaven, right? Uh, uh, yes, I believe so. Which basically says the same thing. Look at the top card of your library. If it's an instant or sorcery, you may reveal it and put it into your hand. If you don't put the card into your hand, you may put it into your graveyard. Activate only if you have exactly zero or seven cards in hand. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, and that's one... Um, that I, I did not find myself, so I can't take full credit for it. But it's interesting to me that they put two really strong three-mana red-blue commanders like back-to-back. We have Vadric from Midnight Hunt and now Aeruth from Crimson Vow. They're both three-mana, and they both solve for different parts of the Storm equation. So mm-hmm. Vadric solves for mana... It goes off really quickly. Aerith solves for cards, like paying one to like faithless looting. Um, but you don't have to discard anything and you just draw four cards. Like that's absolutely nuts. Like the breakthrough, like drawing eight but not having to pitch anything. Um holy cow, like there's just a lot of stuff. And then you get to play with weird cards like Uba's Uba Mask, which is a, a friend's uh friend of the show's favorite card to play with um it just how uba mask is uh, players don't draw cards they just impulse draw as long as uba mask is out but you have Aerith, so you actually impulse draw two cards and they're all impulse drawing one and it makes it really hard for their decks to work because they don't have a bunch of these funny things that uh make everything double powerful so there's a lot of stuff in this deck and I, i'm actually like surprised at how simple that line of text is and how powerful it ends up being when you like dig a little bit deeper into the surface. Yeah, it seems like a really strong, interesting commander. Um, definitely one of my favorites from this set. And from there, I guess let's move on to the next commander. Yeah, Would you the say biggest, the biggest <laughs> disappointment of the whole set? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, perhaps we should have reshuffled this a little bit to not end on such a uh a disappointing note but um uh, it's, it's fine <laughs> we'll, we'll well be we'll we'll say nice things after we talk about him <laughs> okay all right uh so this is audric blood cursed it is one red white for a three three legendary creature vampire soldier when he enters the battlefield create x blood tokens where x is the number of abilities from among flying first strike double strike death touch haste hexproof indestructible lifelink menace reach trample and vigilance found among creatures you control count each ability only once this is a <laughs> lot of text to do very little um yes there's i have so much to say about how like terrible this is and please, like, please okay. just get into it cuz there's really not much more i'm going to add okay so it seems like a chroma vision of Ixidor plus like any red partner is just a much stronger reward for the same build. Um, like, and, and so a chroma vision of Ixidor is one of the partners from commander legends. She's a seven mana angel. Um, but creatures you control get 
plus one plus one for each kind of keyword ability they have um it's not the exact same list as Audric, but it's pretty close and if you're trying to do like a keyword soup tribal deck she's just a much better commander for it and let's say you happen to care about having a bunch of like artifact tokens on the battlefield well you can just use Togo as your other partner uh and then you'll have a million of these rocks lying around and that'll they'll kind of do a lot of the same things if you want to tap them for gear up or aether grid if you want to um uh, whatever like tap them for a clock of omens etc etc so there are better options for the keyword soup deck for sure um and also like blood is like just a really really crappy reward we especially yes. in a red deck uh so yeah. you're uh really really limiting the power of your deck by committing to enough keyword soup creatures to like reliably get a good number of blood tokens and your reward for doing so is like just it's bunk it's not good um but like i've i've i built a deck and i like went through all the trouble of like i'm really trying to balance the number of each type of keyword in my deck so that i can uh, get as little overlap as possible and and get as many blood as possible and you know i'm consistently okay i'm i'm able to get like four or five blood tokens when I cast Audric on like turn four ish. But then I have all these blood tokens and I have these crappy creatures that don't do anything. I have like a, a rogue rack and a like aerial responder. And these, these cards do nothing. And I have a bunch of blood tokens. It's like, okay, I can sack or I can discard the like redundant keyword soup creatures, the things I don't really need anymore. Cause I got my Audric out, but like, what am I trying to draw? Like my my deck is just full of bad cards. <laughs> um, I, I I don't know. It just seems like a a very weak reward for uh, a really painful restriction, and I I don't like this commander at all. Yeah, this card to me um, seems like a role player. So I could have imagined this being like a red white rare that wasn't legendary in the set. Mm-hmm. Um, because it goes pretty well in, um, like let's say like a uh, like the Acroma and Red Partner list, or it goes pretty well in Jorkadine, the Prevailer. Like, just gives you make sure you're over that threshold of cards and turns all your lands into new cards. Um, mm-hmm. kind of that that seems fine to me. But like you said, like there's so many ways in which this is a failure. Did you even get into the, how many keywords it has on? The, oh, the no, I, I did not. That is this another, is, this is the most problem. grievous sin to me. <laughs> so yeah, do you want to get into that? You're the one who found this. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, in the previous version of Audric, Audric Lunark Marshall, they went out of their way to make sure that he listed exactly 13 keyword abilities on him. Uh, but this card only counts 12 keyword abilities. It's an Innistrad set. 13 is like the magic number. It's it's That's like what you're supposed to be looking for on every single card. And he counts 12 things. Like it's so, it's such a disappointment. It's such like an obvious <laughs> failure to meet expectations. Like I, I can understand if not that, if not every legendary creature is designed for commander, if, if it's, filling some other need and limited or standard or whatever, but to just not throw ward among the list and make it a baker's dozen. Like it's, it just like sucks. It clearly shows that nobody cared about this card at all. 
Yeah, I think that's the thing too. Is it's like glaringly obvious. It's like we have Ward now. Like Ward should be one of the words on this card, and it's not. And the fact that that keeps it from being thirteen, especially when this guy like just was cursed and became a vampire, and thirteen is the like you said the magic number, the unlucky number on on Innistrad. It just seems like a fail from like a flavor perspective. Um, from the Melvin just, perspective. Yeah, like makes the card just... Player. Yeah, it just makes it like a worse card overall too because there's so many powerful white cards in these last two sets that have Ward and mm-hmm. like having something that played well with that, like that wouldn't have made the card better <laughs> per se, but it just sucks. And uh, I think most people kind of just see this guy as a vanilla 3-3 and they wouldn't be wrong to think so. Um I'll, I'll say one. What he is. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll say one last thing about him, which is just like, you know, I've said this many times before, but I just really don't like commanders that are just an ETB trigger and that's it. Um, because it you get your value once, and then like what happens after all you after you expend all your blood tokens, my commander becomes a vanilla creature, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. You either have to like commit a bunch of slots in your deck to uh, blinking him, or just like hope that he dies so you can like do the entire thing you built your deck around again. Yes, yeah, so I mean, uh, I said we say something positive. I don't necessarily know if we have anything positive to say about Audric <laughs> now that he's there. But um, overall, with the legends in the set. Like, where are you at? Like, obviously, we were more negative this time than in previous, like, set reviews. Um, do you think that that's necessarily a bad thing? Do you think that not designing for Commander or, like, not thinking about Commander has, like, negatively impacted the set at all? Uh, I I just think it's um, much worse than Midnight Hunt uh, in, in regards to its crop of Commanders. I think that... Like like I said, I am willing to allow that some of the legendary creatures in a set have to serve other needs. Uh, we have the precons in order to like design specifically for Commander, but so many of these designs just like could have been easily tweaked to work better, to better meet expectations, better play in Commander, um, or or just say like could have not been legendary it's like did dorothea need to be a legendary creature if she's just going to like look like a poor imitation of geist of saint traft why couldn't this just have been like vengeful victim and like uh victim's retribution why did it need to be legendary i don't know there's also some like weird things going on like dorothea's retribution is an enchantment aura but it's not legendary Whereas uh, Katilda's Rising Dawn is a legendary enchantment aura, or like Hauken's Insight is a legendary enchantment. There's just like weird things going on in this set that, like, if I really had to guess, um, I know that originally there was only going to be one set on Innistrad, and then they ended up splitting it and rushing, and that might kind of explain why. Um, there are like one new set on Innistrad and they ended up splitting it and kind of rushing. And also it got pushed earlier in the release schedule. This is the set that typically would be released around January. Um, so I'm wondering if just like 
the fact that this set wasn't planned until or, or like didn't have as much vision design um didn't have any exploratory design uh the fact that it got pushed up in the release schedule maybe there was just less time to give it the attention it deserved um less care and love and that's why like the that's why i think blood falls flat a little bit i think that's why maybe the legendary creatures are not nearly as cool or interesting as the ones from from midnight hunt um and maybe maybe that's what's going on here I, i don't know yeah, I, I, I actually was going to, that's pretty much the point I was going to make, is that they've never really done this before. Like, usually when they're releasing sets close together, it's because it's a supplemental set. It's like a Commander Legends that is separate from the, like, standard rotation sets that come out, like the standard legal sets that come out every year. And this time, like, forcing the set forward, it means that you didn't have, like, a separate team. You had the same team or same teams at least, like stretching their resources to be able to facilitate releasing a set like a month and a half after another one. Uh, and I know a month and a half doesn't sound like that much, but that that could be like a legendary creature a day that they spend a meeting working on. That could be like um, getting more time many... playtesting to see exactly. like, like maybe what we do is we uh, make the blood token better on its base and then just like uh sort of reduce the frequency with which you're producing them mm-hmm. i don't there there's yeah. decisions there's that so could have been knobs. made with more time yeah yeah so that that's really my my like thoughts about this set and and when we get into main deck cards so we'll put something in the feed when we do the legendary creature episode um so that it can point you to there maybe you can listen to a few minutes of it and then we'll we'll direct you over there something like that we haven't really decided what we're gonna do but um like you'll hear us talk about a lot of the cards in the set because there are some like banger cards in the set there's a lot of like powerful effects much like there were in midnight hunt where just like powerful main deck effects that we're gonna play for forever um that just didn't translate to the legendary creatures for some reason and i really do think it's it's the fact that they had like almost two months less to work on it because um I don't know how many listeners know about like how card design at Wizards works, but like it is very much like they will have a meeting for hole filling. They'll have a meeting for like, hey, uh, people have been not liking the way this planeswalker plays. Can we do anything to fix that? Or th- they'll they'll go about it like that. And when you have these brainstorming sessions, even if it's just one card a day, like that's twenty uh, something cards that could have gotten buffed or changed or tweaked, and like twenty something more days of playtesting that they could have used to dial in the set and make it better so i i I think like it's kind of um yeah it just it kind of goes to show like how lucky we are that wizard gets as much development time on the products that they get um and how like messing with that can kind of get in the way of like really getting like the best possible thing we could get because i i don't think crimson vow is a bad set i think we're going to talk about it in tandem with midnight hunt pretty much forever and i think that actually kind of blows i think like midnight hunt was a pretty rad set it had great cards it had great commanders and it's something we're talking about forever but i think crimson vow is going to always be like the 
the side <laughs> the side project or like the set that we talk about in tandem with Midnight Hunt's existence as opposed to just like the cool set that it might have been um if it was just a regular standard release set. So that's that's my soapbox. Um as far as positive things to say I really, really do want to point people towards the uh, non-legendary, rev- the non-legendary review and like the the commander set review. We're not going to be as negative in, the, <laughs> in those ones. <laughs> yeah. uh, there is a ton of stuff in the sets that I like, that Nick likes, um, that the legendary creature guys like. That uh, um, I, I want to throw another shout out to Alex Whiteclay for helping us with this set review and, and the others. He was behind the scenes this time, wasn't on the podcast, but. Um, like there's a ton of cards that he likes too <laughs> and and we're not going to be nearly as down on it but I, I do think as far as legendary creature designs go crimson vow kind of flubbed it but i'm excited to get into more positive uh feedback and reviews with the next few cards yes uh totally agree uh there are some really exciting cards from the set and keep an eye on the legendary creature podcast feed for more information on that uh, next week we'll be going over the precons, so I uh, hope you enjoy that review as well. But I think we can sign off here. Um, before we go, I'm going to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Gustav, Ryan, Addison, Rick, Raphael, Kyle, Laser, Charlotte, The White Clays, Hannah, Andy, James, Logan, Roger, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jamie, Matthew, Jason, Kyle, Brandon, Kevin, Kaidel, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, John, John, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Brian, Charles, Daniel, Andrew, Leon, Jason, Paul, Johan, and Jonathan. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.